When I was in high school, I worked uh, several kind of construction-y jobs. And on a construction-y job, you can get this sense of hurry up and wait. It always seemed to be for the forklift. Someone would say, you wait here, I'm going to get the forklift. And they were gone forever. You didn't know where they went. Like they're watching Lord of the Rings extended edition or something. So there's really only one thing you can do. You start telling jokes, jokes you've heard. And I'll tell you, the overwhelming majority shall not be ever quoted in church. I will not tell these jokes, but I've got one I can tell. Uh, it's nice and clean, and, and uh, let's go for it. It goes like this. A DEA officer goes to a rancher in Texas, and he says, I'm an officer with the DEA, and I need to inspect your ranch for any illegally grown drugs. And the rancher, he's working on chores. He puts his, tool, his tools down. He says, okay, but don't go in that field over there. The DEA officer loses his mind. He's so mad. He pulls out his badge. He says, do you see this? This means that wherever I go, I go with the authority of the federal government. I look where I want and with no questions asked. And the rancher, kind of embarrassed, he, he bows his head and he apologizes. He says, okay. The DEA officer goes about his business. A few minutes later, the old rancher hears blood-curdling screams, and he sees the DEA officer running with all of his might across the field with the rancher's 2,000-pound bull right behind him. With every step, the bull is getting closer and closer to the officer. The, the rancher throws his tools down. He runs to the fence line. The rancher screams at the top of his lungs, your badge, your badge, show him your badge. It's a, it's a great joke because it, it gets something across. Only wicked people make rules and restrictions that serve themselves. A good person makes rules that protect other people, save from the 2,000-pound angry bull. God is good, and his rules... Oh, I wasn't even going for that. There we go. little surprise. Look at that. Summer surprises from Jerry. Um... God is good, and his rules are good. They're, they are a blessing. They, they warn us. They protect us. And he has an idea of the way things should be, and it's best we respect them. His wisdom needs to be respected. His authority followed unquestioningly. And he, we don't follow him unquestioningly in his rules because they can't stand up to human scrutiny. That's what a tyrant would say, is that if you start asking questions, it falls apart. We ask because this is not a game, and the consequences are real. If you're in the army, and you've got a problem with authority, and they say, duck, and you say, why? You're probably going to get killed. There is a need to respect and follow what he has to say. It's worth noting because today we're going to be talking, we've been on a series with Joshua and the, and the courage of this book. This is like the courage book, the courage it took to do these things, to, to do something that made no sense, that nomadic people who uh, are not as well-fed, well-funded, well-protected as those that they are called to go conquer would go set out about this believing God will hand them victory. Sometimes doing things that make no sense. It is the Great Courage book. And today we're going to look at some discussion about the law. The law of Moses was given in love. Why law at all? It was a guidance for the nation, preparing them for the day they would receive the Messiah. 
Jesus is all over the law in figurative speech and ways. He is the atonement. He's the high priest. His, his cross is the altar. It's the crucible. And everything in the law reflects the character of God. The practical laws protect them from very natural things, things like hygiene, things like uh, good practice and within the community. And then there were ceremonial laws that seemed to do nothing, but what they told them is it prepared their hearts and minds and guarded them. They were a holy people and that there should be things in their lives that are intrusive enough and odd enough that it reminds them of that frequently. Things like when every, all, all the nations around us are working, we're going to take that day off and it will be Sabbath. When people cut their hair this way, we will cut our hair that way. When people eat uh, pigs and animals with cloven hooves, we will not. Our diet will remind us every time we sit at a meal, we are God's people. And it guarded their hearts and minds. We have an idea in the West of the word law being related to this immutable and cold thing. We get this from Roman history. We get it from the Enlightenment. But it's this idea that law is on a document and it is blind, and it is just, it is impersonal, and we like it that way. But in the Eastern world, this is not how they saw law. Law was something that was deeply personal. The regulations that were written were about this median of relationships that people could have, a way they could relate to one another. Because in a world where family is business, and business is family, as it was then, Law was a very personal thing that affected real people and real relationships in a very personal way. And so as much as the new law we are under with Christ, is, is, it's closer, it is more personal, it doesn't mean that, it, that the old law was as cold as sometimes we can ascribe it to be. The new law of the Spirit is a guidance of Christ and the Spirit as it works on us to remind us of what we've read in Scripture, as it works within our communities, that the Spirit of God becomes more alive when we're around each other. It's why Christians really must be part of a community. Not just working with Christians that we don't talk about our faith often, but a place where we could say, could you pray for me? This is something I read this week that really encouraged me. And when we can actually relate around our faith, the Spirit of God continues to work in that place, and the law of the Spirit is there. It's not a collection of standards, our new law. It is guidance, it is wisdom, it's compassion, and it's personal to guide us back to God. And it's amazing to realize that the old law, the one we can think of as being cold, was actually still that way. It was personal. It was guiding. It was about the community. And so we're going to read this today. I know we're picking up right where we left off, and you're getting scared. Like, how long is this series? We're going to go through two verses a day. We're not. Uh, I just couldn't put these two together last week. It was too much. And it's my mercy to you to cut it in half. So, Starting in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to obey everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You know, what's interesting is... Uh, You see this, this call to, to, to observe the law, watch it, know it well, because it's meant to guard and protect the community. 
And I find it interesting that it says, don't let this law pass from your lips. Sometimes we read that and we think, we, we translate it in our head. Don't let this law pass from your thoughts. Don't let this law pass from your lips. It's an interesting thing. You see, most religions then, and even now, relate revelation through what you see. It's visual. Idols, images, paintings, things we're going to look at, and this is how we would take in revelation. Interesting, and this is something that sets Israel apart and sets the church apart, is it wasn't visual, it was audible. It was about what you heard. God speaks and his people listen. They hear his voice on the mountain speaking with Moses. They hear God speaking to them in his written word, that the written word on it, hearing it, was so critical. We can sometimes think because we are a society that reads, and the church was huge with that. John Knox started that in Scotland. All Scottish kids would learn to read so they could read scripture. It's a very church-driven thing to be a literate society. And because of that, we look at scripture and we think of it being so personal that we sit and we read it and it's quiet and it's in our heads. But this is not how it was for the overwhelming majority of the life of saints. A few people read, they would read it out loud, and everybody would listen. It was an audible experience. And so there's this interesting thing they would do, meditation in Israel culture, Israelite culture. It wasn't like the meditation we can assume where a person sits and empties their mind and they try to think of nothing as much as they can. That's a very Eastern practice. What uh, Israelite meditation looked like is it looked like them saying it out loud to themselves speaking it over and over again and hearing it said back. It would be on their lips, and this is how they would remember it. Saying it over and over again, studying it over and over again. There's a beautiful image in Psalms 40, verse 6, that says, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. And though it's not existent in the NIV, there's the word for opening is the same as digging and cutting. It's the term that you would use either cutting into something or if you were digging furrows to plant something in a field or digging to put in a plant. It's this beautiful image of the human head sealed off, closed, illiterate, deaf. Nothing can go in, no wisdom can go in, no enlightenment. And God comes and he cuts ears into it, digs them out so that something fertile can go in. He opens us up to understand. And the call that's on Joshua here and that was followed for so long is this thing of, if you know the truth and you've heard it, put it on the loop, say it with your mouth, hear it with your ears, say it with your mouth, hear it with your ears and dwell on it. Repeating it to ourselves and owning it, that it wouldn't just be something God says to us, but it's something we'd believe. If, you, uh, if you're like me and you're married and you try to tell your wife she's beautiful when she disagrees with you, it's the hardest thing to convince her of. You grab her and you're like, no, you are. You need to believe me, but they won't listen. You're like, I just want you to say it back. Say it back to me. <laughs> it's the same thing. There's this moment to where we, we have the ability to own something that it wouldn't just be said to us and we would hear it, a revelation we would receive, but that we'd begin to speak it. And in this moment, we become not just recipients of revelation from God, we become teachers of it, moving it, rotating it, hearing it. His words become our words and his perspective and his thoughts. They become our perspective and thoughts. 
Think of this, that in this room, we're full of all kinds of opinions on things, and you did not pioneer all of those or hardly any of them from yourself. Opinions from politics to theology to life practice, you heard those somewhere, you agreed with them, and they have now become your opinion, and they are your thoughts. It's amazing that we have this ability to control that a bit by speaking it over, owning it, saying it back and forth. God saying, I love you is powerful, but you saying God loves me is also powerful and in a whole new way. We have to champion God's truth. Not just people that hear it and it bounces off, but we say it, we speak it, we champion it. Because there's this very interesting thing in the way that Israelites saw the world that was very unique and different. And it was that if, if seeing was to believe, then hearing was to obey. If you're a parent and you've got a kid, you're telling them to do something, they will not do it. We typically say the same thing. You are not listening to me. That's what we say. You are not listening to me. Because in that moment, we're actually saying something very compound. To truly listen to me would be to obey what I'm saying, to respond to what I'm saying. There are times that your kid can say back to you what you just said, but they're not really listening, are they? Listening is this connection between hearing and obeying. To the Hebrew mind, to truly listen means that one must obey in response. That's why there's so many Old Testament prophets that will say the same phrase or variations of the phrase. You have ears that hear, but your hearts are as hard as stone. The connection between what God has given you to hear and where he changes and lives with you, there's a broken connection that you can hear it, but you won't respond. And that's a terrifying place to be because hearing the revelation was your life raft. If you reject that, if you won't respond when you hear truth, it is a dangerous place to be. But there's something amazing that in God's presence, when he's near us, when he's, when he's over us, he empowers us to respond with obedience. There's something, it's such a shame that we can't put it translated into English words, but there's a structure in the original Hebrew script that's missing. At the end of uh, this in verse uh, the second half of or verse nine, it says, uh, have I not commanded you? It says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's structured in such a way that the verbs and structures hard for us to understand. We don't have this concept in English, but it's relating to everything said over the last two verses. Meaning it's don't just be uh, don't be courageous and don't be discouraged in conquering the land, but don't be afraid and don't be discouraged to do the thing I told you to do, the second thing, to follow the word, to study it and to live it. We could read it as be strong and courageous to keep this law. Don't be afraid to keep the law. Don't be discouraged when you don't because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. One of the greatest encouragements in all of scripture is that God has remained the same, that this deeply personal law that he wants to help us keep, he comes with us, he is with us, he is gracious with us, enables us to keep it, that we screw up and he's there to pick us up again. He did so with David, he did so with others, he has been kind and good. And he empowers us to keep this amazing law. 
Keep this book, he says in verse 8, of the law always on your lips, meditating on it day and night. Then you will, uh, and be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's, a, there's these series of mockumentaries that I, that I, have you seen Best in Show or A Mighty Wind, anybody? Am I the only sinner that's seen them? Okay. Well, a mockumentary is like, it's, it's, a, it's a pretend documentary and it's made to be comedy. So you see these scenes, people are being interviewed and you might watch it thinking it's a real documentary until it gets outrageous and then you don't believe that it is. I will say this, I once watched a real documentary. We all thought it was a mockumentary. We Googled it and we were in shock. It's called Spellbound. It's about the big national spelling bee. It's incredible. You should watch Spellbound. I should have told you it was a mockumentary and then have you text me afterward to tell you those kids were real. Uh, But there's this one that I love uh, and it is a true mockumentary. It's called A Mighty Wind and in it, this producer that's produced all these folk bands dies. And to commemorate his life, they gather all of these famous folk bands from the 1960s, and they're going to do one of those PBS concert shows. So they're all coming together, and it's following all these bands and interviewing them as they're coming, and they're talking about their history. And the keynote people, the headliners, the big one is this couple called Mitch and Mickey. And they were this this couple, and they they did these very lovey-dovey songs in their folk years, and they had this very public breakup, haven't seen each other, and now they're coming back together to do a concert. And they're kind of in this like uh, tired phase of life and they're not really, they don't have any tension with each other. So they're being interviewed, what was it like to be famous? And what was it like to go to these shows? And Mitch talks about the roaring of the crowds, people chanting their names. And when they ask Mickey, Mickey goes, "I, I couldn't think of me up there. I just had to focus on Mitch and I had to just look at him and just be at his show and uh, that's all I could think about because it was too much for me to think about me being up there. And then she says, next week I'll have the best seat in the house. There's this amazing thing that happens here. Joshua is a, is a worthy general. He is a worthy leader of the people. And yet his confidence where his courage comes from, the courage to face everything he's going to face, is going to come to him because he won't be thinking of him up there. He is going to spend his nights and days meditating on God, looking at God, looking at him that God will give him success when he's not looking at himself, but looking to God. Jesus teaches something so similar. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things, meaning basic life needs, food, shelter, water, they'll be given to you. It can be intimidating and frightening to try to pursue the things in life, and yet we're called to be like Mickey. We're called to be like Joshua that we would not worry about those things. We wouldn't think of ourselves in the moment. We're gonna just look at God and focus on God and just think about him up there and focus on what he has done. Say it over and over again. And we'll find that worry fades away, that courage takes root, and that we're able to do the very difficult things ahead of us. Success will follow Joshua if he keeps this. The Hebrew words for prosperity and success here, they're almost never used for financial success. This verse has sometimes been misinterpreted that way. They speak always of the same thing, life's proper endeavors, the things that really matter. 
the things that you cannot buy with money, the things that you'll wish you spent your time on when the time has passed, the kingdom you wish you could have been more a part of. There is a great paradox that the only way to find life is to lose it. The only way to find hope is to give up and to get, put all hope on Christ. We only find what we're looking for when we look for Christ first and foremost, that that is the, the meaning of your life. If you wanted to know what the meaning of your life is, the moment you're redeemed in Christ, your point, your, the whole point of your life is to look for God, to look for his kingdom, and to be part of his plans. Focus on him, focus on what he is doing, that he would be the main thing in your life, and you could be courageous before lions. Courageous in the face of terrible things. At peace when, when all carnality wants you to panic. It's this incredible moment where our other life pursuits become the side story of the proper endeavor, of the thing worth going after, the adventure worth having, the one worth chasing. And in that space, courage erupts. The kind of courage that in the coming weeks we'll be reading the stories of what they did with their courage. Because the first and foremost thing on their leader's mind, the thing he reminded the people, to not think about the conquest, not think about the food, the farms, the vineyards, none of these things. God will take care of those in his proper time. Say his law, say his revelation, speak it over, own it for yourself, over and over again, turning it over in your mind, dwelling on it. And that produces this generational courage that's so incredible. The encouragement is for us to dig deep, dig deep in our faith, dig deep in scripture to consider what you can do to be about your creator's work today. And to let courage come forth as we listen and obey, taking in the word, listening to it, rotating it over and over again, looking at God, 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 looking at just God, the main focus, so that other things can fade, that courage grows up, and we would do what is required of us in the proper hour for the proper endeavors and live a life worth living. And a life worth living is something you attain when you have the courage to take it. Lord, today we turn ourselves over to you. And we say, Lord, would you look at us and would we have a moment of just reflection to know what is first? What has been the thing that all my life has wrapped around? You said you would be with us wherever we go. To not be discouraged because you'll follow us. That when we fall, you pick us up. Today, Lord, if we've fallen and we look and we realize that the core of our life and our endeavor is not to live for your eternal plans, we've said too often we've asked you into our lives and we don't realize we asked us into your life. God, I pray that you would dramatically begin to shift right now. Lord, would you begin the reminding work? Would you help us continue to remind ourselves, whatever that looks like, if that means listening, reading, memorizing, calling other people and praying, whatever it takes to have our faith come out of us, out of our lips, back into our ears, Lord, the cycle would begin, that we would remember that you would become all that we can see, that everything else will fade, and that you would receive all glory and honor. Lord, we pray for courage in this unique way, that we would stop thinking about all the things we have to do, all the things that we need taken care of, 
but that we would seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that everything else will be added to us. Let your word be truly the light of our life and our daily bread. I thank you, God, that no matter where we go, we do not have to be intimidated or afraid to keep the remembrance of your law because you're with us to pick us up when we fail. Remind us always, Lord. Help us to grow closer to you this week as we remember and you would take center stage of our lives, character one in our lives. Thank you for that transformation. In your name we pray, amen.